The Athletic. Hello, I'm Taylor Payne, and this is the first show in the new season of Pod on the Tyne. Yes, that's right, already. Uh, it's a special one, this though, recorded live at the Tyneside Irish Centre on the evening of Thursday the 9th of June. And that date should sound familiar to all Jodies, and we had a great evening celebrating the Bladen races with some old friends of the show and some new ones as well. And we raised a few quid for the Newcastle United Food Bank, which is absolutely the main thing. So without further ado, here's Chris and myself in conversation with Michael Chaplin. Hello, ladies and gents. Let's try that again. That was awful. Hello, ladies and gents. Good evening. This is Pod on the Time Live. This is the first time we've ever... Oh, do you like Chris? Yeah, I feel like what the pantomime. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, it isn't. (laughs) Uh, This is the first time we've ever done this live, and I know Chris is a little bit nervous, uh, so please be gentle with him. He did actually say to me, have you got any tips? Uh, for dealing with the nerves and I said just imagine your audience naked so if he does have a funny look on his face at any time during the night <laughs> that's I, mean, I can't really is. see the audience for the light so that probably, he- <laughs> that probably helps no. but uh, yeah so my name's Taylor Payne this is Chris Woff uh, and this is Michael Chaplin uh, we are going to be recording this podcast live uh, so if you don't turn your phone off now and it goes off I will send our producer Ollie amongst you to sit on you uh, until you turn purple, okay? So just make sure you've got your phones on silent, otherwise you'll end up on Spotify, and we don't want that. Are we ready? I think so, yeah. All right, let's crack on then. So, Chris, we decided to take two weeks off the podcast because we thought at the end of the season, traditionally, nothing happens with Newcastle United, and it's just gone haywire. What the hell's going on? Yeah, it's been manic a couple of weeks again. It was there. So it was actually, I think, about a week after the January transfer window closed. I had a conversation with someone. And I said, "Oh, I'm, I'm glad the January window's over because there's going to be nothing like this again." And, and that person sort of laughed and said, "Well, the summer's to come." And this was someone quite, quite high up and well connected. I thought, "Oh, bloody hell!" Because the, the, the January window was, was wonderful in so many ways, but also journal- as a, for a journalist, it was absolutely manic to cover. And this summer hasn't quite been the same, but it has started in dramatic fashion. Usually, June is a time where I can just do absolutely nothing and that hasn't been the case already which is wonderful I'm sure for all of you lot but for me from a very selfish work point of view it's been very tiring but in a very good way. Michael um, what's it like being a Newcastle fan and seeing them actually do business early in a window it's just ridiculous isn't it? Well yes you keep looking at the TV or or, or the internet and thinking this can't be happening Um, uh, usually it's you know we're, we're interested in the possibility of uh, luring Jeff Hendrick uh, to uh, to St James's Park, and um, or trying to lure him away from yeah, St James's Park. Well, of course, he's been so brilliant in his time here that <laughs> that they gave him a longer contract on bigger money. So, uh, so uh, that just goes to show the the supreme intelligence and and wisdom of the Ashley regime. But uh, but yeah, no, it's great, and there's obviously more to come, and uh, we can all play that game of will it be him or will it be him. Um, and I think they made a good start with uh, with Matt Target. Uh, yeah, I think absolutely. everyone um, saw that he was a completely wholehearted player, um, and he's obviously very well liked. Um, I was very impressed by um, 
Bruno taking responsibility, as he often does on the field, <laughs> off the field, making it known that on, t- on live on TV that he thought Target should be signed permanently, and that's what's happened. And I think that's a, that's a good thing. That was a lovely moment, that, wasn't it? Uh, Chris, Dan Ashworth as well was the big news this week. Uh, what have Newcastle got in Dan Ashworth, apart from a really, really good Billy Mitchell from EastEnders lookalike? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that, yes, was he does. Um, well, Dan Ashworth, yes, that was basically it's been in place since since February that Newcastle Newcastle did a search for the new sporting director as he's become, although I think that was a title he himself decided upon. He's basically asked, what do you want your specific title to be? Because it hasn't really been settled upon in this country. You get technical director as he was at Brighton. You get director of football, various different roles. They're basically, most of them cover similar sort of things. But Newcastle tried to haggle with Brighton, who did not want to lose him, accepted he was going to leave, but didn't want to lose him early unless Newcastle paid up. To begin with, they didn't. And then I think it got to a stage where I'm pretty sure other people within the club were quite keen for him to get in. Eddie Howe was very, very stressed, I think, throughout the January window, operating as both head coach and almost a de facto director of football, and so pushed, if possible, for him to be brought in early. Newcastle managed to agree a deal with Brighton, and, and various people you speak to within football, I'm doing a big piece about Dan Ashworth, which will come out next week, and, and they basically say that that he is the, the person, he's almost like the person who connects every single department and will bring everything together. He refers to himself as being at like the, the centre of a wheel and there being the spokes that go off being the different departments, and other people talk about that as well. He's almost like, it's not that he's a specialist necessarily in, any, in anything, but he makes the football operation work and for Newcastle rather than it just being Lee Charnley and nobody else uh, <laughs> the football side of things Newcastle will have uh, on on the football side of things Dan Ashworth at the very top they'll have the head coach in Eddie Howe they'll have all the other departments going off but they will also be bringing in so many other people and so he is he is the start of the journey Newcastle wanted to go on on the pitch they've been on a one already managed to save themselves but for the vision that the owners have for the club it needs both the infrastructure to be built up, but also internally the personnel. And Dan Ashworth is probably the most important appointment they'll make in that regard. It's a big deal getting Dan Ashworth in, isn't it, Michael? It's 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 one of those things that a lot of people have been waiting for, the sporting director or the director of football. And now he's here. I think we start to see the uh, you know the, the, the direction of the club and the, the philosophy of the club and where it's going to go over time. I, I, I listened to his interview on the club's website yesterday and I thought he was very measured... Um, he's obviously uh, experienced in all of the facets of, of, of the game that he, he needs to be. Um, and I, I just thought he was a tremendously impressive character. Um, and good to have somebody it's really like strange that. strange having someone from Newcastle <laughs> knowing what they're talking about, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, I was impressed by him. Um, and he comes with a very good pedigree. He's worked for, for England as well as uh, the two clubs, West Brom and, and Brighton. And uh, so I think it's great to have him. He comes from a footballing background as well in terms of before, he admits himself that before he was, he was made, I think it was technical director at West Brom, that he, he himself didn't even know what that role was, but he was, a, he was a footballer at Norwich in their academy, didn't quite make it, but played semi-pro for a long while, eventually then became a, a coach, he got all of his licences, he also was an academy director at a few clubs, Cambridge, Peterborough, went to West Brom initially as that and then was promoted up through this position and basically he is, he was, 
not the first, but one of the first in, in, in sort of that position in this country. And Kevin Thelwell, who has the same position at Everton, uh, I was on a conference call a few weeks ago when he was speaking to people within football. And he, he referred to Dan Ashworth as the best director of football that Britain has produced. So that's a, a, one of his uh, colleagues, someone someone is one of his, uh, in a similar position saying that of him. So hopefully that means that, that he can make a significant impact as Newcastle as we all hope that he will. Absolutely. Um, key positions that, that the, the, the club really need to strengthen. And I think we all agree that we need goals. That team is desperate for goals. But Callum Wilson does that thing that he seems to do every year where he gets injured and then he comes back and he reminds you just how bloody good he actually is. Yeah, I think we all, we all just watched that the game that he played against Arsenal. And he, he was just phenomenal in that game. He was unplayable. And he was very unlucky not to get more, more than... Well, it, it was an own goal, wasn't it? But, but he, he played so well. But the, the problem, as we know, um, it's an, a re- recurring one, is that he's in, he is injury-prone. Um, and with the best will in the world, um, you know, we all understand why, why the club bought Chris Wood in January. Desperate times call for desperate measures. But he's not... And he's a completely wholehearted, hard-working player. But he's not going to get you 20 goals a season, let alone anything more. So I think it is absolutely critical. Um, so I'm very interested to know how how close we are to getting Etikite. Is he? Uh, We're all looking at you, Chris. Have you got any inside info, Chris? Are you one of these ITK people on Twitter these days? Well, I mean, apparently he was playing for France under 20, and he limped off with an injury earlier this Sounds season. Sounds about right. So yeah. that, that, that <laughs> Perfect awesome. Newcastle signing. <laughs> yes, exactly. He'd still um, pass a fucking medical, though, wouldn't he? Let's be honest. But that that deal is is progressing. It's it's very very complicated in terms of the way that Newcastle are trying to do it, and, and you will hear the same for a lot of transfers over this summer. So what Newcastle are trying to do with Agatiki is that they want the deal to be basically they want to pay it over in instalments, and that's primarily to maximise the budget they have for this summer, partly to do with financial fair play regulations, partly to do with uh, the fact that they want to do quite a lot of business still this summer. And so the, the, basically a deal is almost in place with, with Rams' as club and they are now talking to uh, Ekatike's people to try and see if they, can bring, if, if they can bring him in. He seems to be receptive in many ways, but equally I think his people are also ha- holding on to see if any of the clubs become involved. The expectation as of earlier today when I, when I was speaking to people in around it was that they do think that, that they will bring him in. They are hopeful that he will come in. And, but he, he's, he's only 19 and he's very raw, speaking to a lot of, of people uh, in France who, who've watched him quite regularly and they say that he's extremely, extremely talented. But in terms of him being first choice in a Premier League team, that's unrealistic really for next season. And he's very much seen as someone... He, one of the benefits of bringing Nagatike in is because he's so young, he doesn't have to be named in the 25-man squad. So it means that Newcastle can can leave him outside of that, bring him in for that age. But it's a deal they're working on at the moment and they want to get that one sorted. Then they're going to move on to other positions uh, or they are trying to work on Sven Botman and, and a centre-back at the moment. But in terms of... They will then look later in the window at exactly what they're going to do. The, as of about six weeks ago, the message was very much a frontline striker is the priority. I think that message has changed slightly, or at least the thinking has changed slightly, given how Wilson came back in the team and did so well, and given the budget they have. If they can get Ekatiki in, I think they're going to wait and see what other business they can do and what resources they have available 
before they really push too hard for a striker. They have interest in a lot of others. There is interest in Dominic Calvert-Lewin. They do hold an interest in Ivan Tony, who was here previously, although I don't think he's near the top of the list. There are also a few names across Europe, particularly a couple of German and Italian clubs. A few of their strikers have been put my way. But I think that what if and when they get Ekatike through, I think they'll focus on other positions before coming back to a striker, if possible. They're hopeful that Wilson will be able to be managed through large parts of next season. Ideally, they would want another frontline striker, and that's what they'll try to do, because Dwight Gale will, in theory, be moved on uh, this summer if, if they can move him on. And then they'll, they'll have Wood, Wilson, Ekatike as someone who can play anywhere across the front three and as a younger option, and hopefully they'll go back for another striker later in the summer. I'm really excited about Ek- Ekatike, to be honest, Chris, because his surname's a palindrome. And uh, if, what, if there's one thing I've said for years is that there's not enough palindromic footballers <laughs> in the Premier League. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I'm sure you are as well, Michael. Uh, I'm tremendously wordsmith. excited. Yeah, I can hardly contain myself. <laughs> but, but listen, the, the thing is, if, if, God forbid, Wilson gets injured in the second game or, or, or whatever, and he, he does have a tendency when he does get injured, he gets a serious injury. And, and that was the case, obviously, last season. But what would be the strategy then, just to persist with, with Wood? Or, uh... Well, I th- one thing they want to address this summer is th- they, would like, they would like another striker, but it's basically to add goals across the team. So they, they want another wide forward as well, if possible. And so in theory, if they can bring in someone who can lessen the burden to a certain extent, then that may help them as well. Because if you, if you, if you take out... I mean, Wilson was the top scorer last season with eight. He, he remained their top scorer with six, even though he's out for five months. That, that, that is a serious <laughs> yeah. issue. Obviously, in January, as well as Ekatike, they also looked at Lingard, who they hoped would bring in goals from midfield. They've moved on from Lingard. I think it's unlikely they'll bring him in this summer because they're wanting uh, to bring in, hopefully, players of a, of a, of a bit of a lower-age profile. And also, his wages would, would probably be problematic. But... It, so in theory, they're trying to add add just more layers. As I say, that, that I'm not ruling out that they sign another striker. Ideally, they do end the summer with another striker beyond Ekitike. But the market, the, the, some of the prices, people are just coming back and say this is they're ludicrous. Some of the prices they're being quoted. Maybe that changes throughout the summer. Maybe they come to to some sort of deals with people and are able to bring someone in. But just early on, I think they see they'll be blowing a significant amount of their budget when really they want to strengthen more than just one area of the team. There seems to be a different name link every single day, doesn't there? And, and the, whoever's updating the the, tr- the transfer rumour page on NUFC.com must be <laughs> employed full-time at the minute just to constantly type names into a box. Um, one of the names that, Chris, I know you know that I'm very excited about and I hope that something happens with this player is nana 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 botman um, <laughs> There's been talk today that a fee's been agreed and there's been all sorts of chat about AC Milan and now PSG have entered the race and all this sort of stuff. Do we potentially have a transfer saga for this summer? Is that what we're going for? It's been a transfer saga since January, (laughs) not December. I mean, Newcastle went from in January and in January they were told very early on that Lille weren't willing to sell. If Newcastle had gone in with a ridiculously high offer, I think they would have. I think they would have sold. But basically, the, the price Newcastle were looking to pay, Leal had made it clear it wasn't going to happen. Obviously, eventually they went through several other targets before landing on Dan Byrne, who's done fantastically well since he's been in Newcastle. In January, the focus was very much on a left-sided centre-back. This summer, I think they're more receptive for a left or right-sided centre-back. Botman is a left-sided centre-back, but equally I think that they could see that he could he could play on the other side if necessary as well. Fabian Cher can play 
both sides too. So Botman, yes, they've been in, in discussions with Lille. They're confident they can agree a package. It seems that they've put in a higher offer than Milan because of what I was explaining earlier about Newcastle willing to pay in, in installments. And, and that a lot of the deals they're trying to do, they're trying to backload it. So essentially... They, they are willing to pay more for certain players over a longer period of time if the clubs will agree to... With, with Agatiki, it was even suggested to me that they were trying to, to do a, a, a year's loan initially. I don't think it's going to be, but a year's loan initially to then try and push the money even further down the line. And, and, and the overall fee would be slightly higher because they wouldn't have to pay it all now. So their package overall is slightly more attractive than AC Milan. AC Milan are also going through a takeover, and I think that, that has affected their ability to complete transfers as far as Botman is concerned, I think he, he he's waiting to see which one he wants to take. I think he's, he's flirted with both sides. I think he's quite receptive to either option that eventually comes up. So Newcastle become increasingly confident over the course of the last week. About four or five weeks ago, they were sure he was going to go to AC Milan. They thought they'd missed out. They stayed around and they still hope that that one might happen. If it isn't Botman, though, they will go for another centre-back. They'd like Nathan Ake, but he's been quoted ridiculous prices there. Eddie Howe's also worked with Lloyd Kelly before he was at Bournemouth. Again, they were quoted ridiculous price there. So they're, they're still trying for Botman, and I think there is a decent chance it will happen. There's obviously going to have to be outgoings as well. Uh, and somewhere at the moment, staring out of a rain-spattered window, George Calkin sits with a single salient tear running down his cheek because Isaac Hayden has joined Norwich <laughs> City on loan. Uh, that was a that was a, a one out of the blue a bit, wasn't it? Nobody seemed to have a clue about that, and then suddenly he was gone. But obviously, you would think that would be one of the players who would be moved on. Obviously, not being involved in the the twenty five man squad. Well, Hayden was one of the ones who it was expected would go out earliest because he, in theory, was one of the easier ones to move on because he's at a stage in his career where he wants to play football. And he'd had a meeting with Eddie Howe during the final week of the season and they'd sort of had a discussion and Howe had sort of basically said, you're free to, you're free to go if you, would like to, if you would like to go. And Hayden is keen to play football. He was left out of the, the squad for the second half of last season, partly because he was injured, but also I think that Howe preferred some of their midfield options. He's been a very good servant for Newcastle. And so when, when that option came in, Ash was the one who finally sorted out the deal but a large part of it had already been uh, sorted before then so he's gone he's gone to Norwich it's a loan with an obligation to buy if they get promoted is, is, is our understanding in it so Newcastle I think ideally would have liked money now but they are finding with other clubs like they are trying to do themselves uh, in, in in terms of for their incomings that other clubs don't necessarily want to pay all that money up front now so it was a shame to see Hayden go in many ways because of the servant that he's been, but I think there's an acceptance that he's not part of Eddie Howe's plans, Eddie Howe wants to play in a different sort of way. And so he's had a very fond farewell from most Newcastle fans that I've seen, I think thoroughly deserved as well. He's one of those core players who saw Newcastle through a very, very difficult time where they were, they were constantly battling against, obviously brought them up to begin with, but then constantly battling against relegation at a club which was going in no direction whatsoever, had no hope. Um, and so he's the first of many that really need to be moved on. The Newcastle still have 30 senior players uh, due to return on uh, July the 1st. is meant to be the first day of pre-season. I think that's the return for, for tests at that point. So there's a lot of other players who need to still be moved on. There's a lot of attempts to move players on at the minute. There's been a lot of rumours this week about Dwight Gill and Middlesbrough. There is interest there, but again, that, I think that one's going to be slightly more difficult to 
to sort out because of the, the stage of his career that Gale's at compared to someone like Hayden. Hayden is keen to, to play and he's the stage of his career where he needs to. Dwight Gale wants the right move for him and his family if he is going to leave. And so um, Newcastle have a lot of work to do when it goes to outgoings as well because Eddie Howe doesn't want to have a bloated squad of players he can't play. I think we should just say, uh, I mean, I always admired Hayden as a player, a very honest player. He never hid. He took responsibility. Um, and I, I think it's, it's, it's good that he's going because he's going he's gonna to play and that's what he wants to do. And that seems to be in contrast to other people who, um, you know, under the previous regime were rewarded ridiculous contracts on ridiculous money in the mistaken uh, assumption that by giving them those, they, those players would suddenly become much better players, um, which of course is not the case at all. Um, so yeah, I think I think what you what you're saying about it's going to be more difficult with the likes of of uh, Hendrick. We mentioned him again. Um, he deserves it. Kieran Clark, I think, is a, is another one, and and Dwight Gale, you've already touched upon. Well, Kieran Clark was the catalyst for the Joel Nasons, wasn't he? Let's be honest. Yes. Yeah. If Kieran Clark hadn't had that rush of the head against Norwich, we would never have found out that Joel Linton was a world class holding midfielder. <laughs> As if that happened. What the hell? Anyway. Um, Let's be thankful for that moment. I know. Incredible stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I want to talk to you, Mike, a little bit about the change because things have changed an awful lot in the last year, haven't they? As an example of that, I saw a man over there eating sushi earlier on. And... <laughs> How am I, <it>? There's <laughs> <laughs> a bit of money in the town. You all think you're sitting there like Warren Buffett all of a sudden. <laughs> you need to pack that in. All right. <laughs> It's either a Savaloy dip or it's nothing. Um, <laughs> things have changed a lot. And the last time you were on the podcast was pre-takeover. Yeah. And we kind of all sat there with face like an arse, just kind of yeah. unhappy about it's, everything. It, and, and it, it was supposed to be a celebratory edition uh, to mark the fact that my book was being published. That's right, And, yeah. it, and it was the biggest <laughs> wake I think I've ever attended. Um, uh, yes, a, a lot has happened. And um, it's been an incredible season. Uh, I don't know where you were on the afternoon of the takeover. It was in October, wasn't it, that it was announced? And um, I was in a in a cottage in Swaledale with no uh, uh, Wi-Fi whatsoever. Um, so I, 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 acute dislocation on on that day, uh, which has been followed. It's been, been quite extraordinary. I mean, I, I'm I'm not going to the games, as you know. I gave up my season ticket in 2019 and haven't returned. But um, but. But it's just been extraordinary. It's so compelling, the games, you know, for good reasons and sometimes bad. Um, and it's, you know, it's like a Hollywood story, really, isn't it? The heroes triumph in the end, the dirty dozen on Tyneside or, or whatever. And, and, and c concluding with that stonking game against Arsenal, um, I felt like I was in the sta stadium, but I was in my living room on my own. Yeah. That was um, an incredible and it, night, and wasn't it? Was it was just... Just one of the most memorable games I've, I think I've ever seen. I was there with my little boy and uh, I turned to him <laughs> just after the flag display and went, don't get used to this, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and he's looking up at me with his big eyes like that going, this is amazing, daddy. And I was like, don't, don't even think that yeah. this is what it's like because it's not, it's shit. Yeah. Get used to it. Stop crying. <laughs> I'll not bring you again. Yeah. Um, yeah. You'll, you'll get another one like this in 2043. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, on the day of the takeover, I was actually outside St. James's Park. I'd been working up in Northumberland and I drove back through and I had another job on the night time in Newcastle. Was that you with the tea towel on That was head? me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our lass is still looking for that tea towel <laughs> to this day. Um, and I stood outside there as the news broke. Um, I know there's a lot of different feelings about the takeover and about the, uh, the people involved and where the money's coming from and all that sort of stuff and those questions are quite rightly asked. Um, but on that moment, on that day, to see all of those people there, it was quite incredible. And I have to be honest, I did feel emotional and I felt proud of the club and proud of the city and all that. And mostly I felt really fucking pleased that Mike Ashley was gone um, because we'd had enough of him, hadn't we? Let's be honest, it was, it was time for change. Uh, and, and, and Chris, that, that week was incredible for you as well, wasn't it? It was just, Chris was a broken man. I mean, Chris <laughs> is regularly broken if you listen to the podcast. Um, but that week, I've never seen Chris, Chris quite as broken as he was that week. No, I mean, I was I was sat in in at the, the point at that point I would just sold the flat that I was living in and we were in the process of moving into a new house and I was actually at my uh, my my in laws' house, sat in a bedroom as at where I'd been for the previous thirty six hours waiting for the actual move because I kept we kept on getting updates from people in and around it saying it's going to be announced in an hour's time. So it was like this was on the the Wednesday and bearing in mind the takeover was announced till five thirteen or whatever it was on the on the Thursday from about. I think the first point we were told was going to be 4 p.m. on the Wednesday that it was going to be announced. George had had a tip off. It had been, it had been down to Jez Medina House first thing that morning. So then we were ready for this moment. And then it just kept getting pushed back hour after hour after hour. And we're having to change all these things. And it's like this. And on, on, on the Thursday, I'm hearing there's all this stuff going on uh, down by the stadium and, and thankfully Michael Walker who also works for us was, was able to go down there because we were like well we, we need to be here in case something happens and George had to go to Jesmond Dean House and I'd, I mean for the, the first three weeks after the takeover I'd I'd say that in terms of sleep, I must have um, I must have had maximum three hours most nights because it was just absolutely constant. It, it was it was the most exhilarating thing I've ever covered, but also the most tiring thing I'd ever covered. And I'm just saying that I'm relieved that George isn't here tonight because I was absolutely sick of his bloody voice after. <laughs> <laughs> I think anybody who listens to the podcast connect with those sentiments. To be honest, uh, yeah. Uh, ridiculous. I do just have to do a bit of admin before we go on to part two, and that is you can subscribe to The Athletic right now for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and you get full access to all our great writing and ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcasts. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Sign up now. And do you actually know where George is tonight? He's driven down to Norfolk and he's he's banging on Isaac Hayden's door and demanding that he comes back in tears. <laughs> I didn't know what you were going to say there, Chris, I'll be honest. <laughs> Woo, right, okay. Let's look ahead then. Um, the pre-season schedule, uh, it's amazing. Newcastle United have organised pre-season fixtures against proper teams in the weeks leading up to the season to give us a... What are, what are Darlington going to do now? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> I, still to get a I still managed to have a tour cancelled though as well, so you know it's not all changed. Ah, it's not all changed, very true. Um, yeah, cl some classy opposition in there. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to it. I mean, I... Um, pre-season is always horrible or between the seasons is always horrible yeah. life ceases to have quite the sparkle or the interest that it that it normally does and you can't wait for it to for the whole circus to start rolling again so uh, so yeah 
it's uh, it's going to be great and and it is properly the the first time in at least well the back end of the Pardew period that that we've actually looked forward to a, a season properly um, without this sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach that it's all yeah. going to be shit again. Let's hope we sign more than just Vernon and Anita this time. Because <laughs> that was the problem last time, wasn't it? Chris, those, those two pre-season fixtures are mouthwatering the ones at, at home at St James's Park, aren't they? Yeah, they're quite different to the first one last season, which was York away. Uh, which oh, I was, was there. <laughs> that was oh, a man pissed on me leg. It was great. <laughs> it did. A man pissed on you. Yeah, in the toilets, I must say. It wasn't like... (laughs) (laughs) Impressive. Um, But, so yeah, the Newcastle are... For these two fixtures, I wouldn't actually be surprised if if the sort of record crowds are friendly, certainly for a long while, because Newcastle are going to play on the Friday night, uh, and then they're also playing on the Saturday. I can't remember which way around. Is it Bilbao on the Friday night, and then Atalanta on the Saturday? I mean, Chris, this is your job to know this stuff, isn't it? Let's be honest. (laughs) Don't look at me. I'm going to clue but they've got they've got their two and basically this is something that Eddie Howe likes. Eddie Howe wants quality opposition. When he was at Bournemouth, Real Madrid actually came to Dean Court at one stage because he, he likes to, to have his team primed and ready for the for the new season. And one of the issues they've actually had in terms of one of the reasons why it's taken them quite a while to to announce where they're going to go on this preseason tour, I believe it's going to be Austria, certainly Central Europe, um, having had cancelled when they were meant to be going to the Ohio Cup in Cincinnati, which wasn't their fault that it was cancelled, to be fair. It was, it was from the other end. But Newcastle went to, to the US in 2015 when Steve McLaren first came in, and the tour had been organised before McLaren arrived. And there was two main issues with it. Well, three, if you include the fact that Steve McLaren was in charge. But there's there <laughs> there two, there two main issues. And one was the opposition. And because it was the middle of the MLS season, they were playing MLS second and third teams, and it meant it wasn't really the quality opposition they sort of wanted to get primed and ready. And also, they played in three different locations, and they were travelling most of the time rather than actually training. And so they were offered similar sort of things this summer, and they wanted to avoid that. They want Eddie Howe wants a proper block. This is obviously his first... He hasn't had pre-season with, with a lot of these players. He he hasn't had the opportunity to really fully imprint uh, his DNA into this side, which is exciting in itself, given what he's already done to the team, to, to think how he could progress them so to have that quality opposition they're also going to to Lisbon to play Benfica on the Tuesday night before that match as well so that the three fixtures I've got confirmed so far uh, should be enticing because the, the, it's just that the, the, the double match which I believe he's going to split the squad to try and play basically everyone uh, in the course of those two matches comes the week before the start of the season so he's given everyone an opportunity bef- before that first well home or away game we'll get the fixtures next week. Isn't it isn't it marvelous to have somebody who thinks about issues like this rather than just just get just an envelope them, give out them four and days it, off a week yes, instead? Exactly, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's called professionalism, I think. Yeah, no such thing. Um, yeah, uh, which players, Michael? Do you think which we've not mentioned already uh, are going to be looking at impressing the manager now? I'm thinking of the likes of Sean Longstaff. Uh, and also, um, I, I believe Jamal Lewis has been touted as potentially coming back into the squad next season as well, depending on yeah. income and transfers. Well, um, Sean Longstaff, I thought, had a terrific end of season oh, he was great, coming yeah. in, really good. and um, he was so much decisive and he looked fitter to me actually, um, because one of the problems with him is from my point of view, has always been that he, he was a bit slow in midfield and he could be bypassed quite easily. And that's still a bit of an issue. But um, but I, I, he just seemed fitter. Or maybe it was just the, the effect of a manager truly believing in him. There seemed to be a lot more self-belief in his performances. Yeah. Um, and um, and, the, and the, the lad at fullback, well, we've seen so little of him for so long um, that it... 
But clearly he was a very good player when he arrived. Um, and a combination of injuries and lack of belief, perhaps, in the man- of the management in him uh, mean that you know, he's, he's hardly been seen. But he's obviously a gifted player. Well, those two players are, are sort of prime examples of, I think, of, of the players who really suffered previously in terms of who needed development. They needed, they needed someone who was going to really help and coach and develop them. And you've seen the impact that someone like Eddie Howe and his coaching staff have been able to have, certainly on Sean Longstaff, that, that they... That, that's that's what they need. They need nurturing. They're at a key stage in their development. And Jamal Lewis is, is is a curious case because he's had a long-standing groin problem. He, he struggled to get over it. And Eddie Howe, when he first came in, played him in a few matches. He then pulled up. Uh, I think it was away at Liverpool, but he certainly pulled up around the sort of Christmas period. And they left him out of the of the twenty-five man squad. Two reasons, I think. First of all, just because they had too many players. But second of all, Howe decided that if 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 we send you away, uh, if we send Jamal Lewis away, make sure he's ready. He's, he's had three operations, I think, over the course of the last five months to make sure this long-standing problem is finally uh, solved and then bring him back in pre-season and take a, a proper look at him. And uh, I think if if Newcastle got significant interest in Lewis, I think they would at least consider it this summer. But the problem is they paid £15 million for him two years ago and they're not going to get anything like that from now. He's still got a long contract. He still has significant uh, potential and so they're going to look at him and having Matt Target there as who at the minute is the first choice left back and then having Paul Dummett who can play there and and centre back and then also having Jamal Lewis to potentially challenge them and hopefully develop going forward given the impact that that that, that uh, Howe has been able to have on in terms of improving the other players he seems confident that he can get something out of Jamal Lewis and I, I'm really intrigued to see how, how Lewis can do going forward because he was someone who Liverpool wanted when Newcastle signed him and clearly he is a, a real prospect still. I'm glad that um, Dummett is staying because I personally would, would miss the Dummett sliding tackle. It is a thing of beauty, isn't it? It really um, is. But I wanted to ask about Elliot Anderson um, who's obviously coming coming back. Um, I I'm, I'm in, intrigued by him and what, what he did, especially because I've got a friend who goes to Bristol Rovers matches and every weekend he'd be getting in touch saying, you know, your lad was absolutely brilliant today. And I know it's only the, you know, where, where he is or where he was. Um, but he's obviously coming back. Is he, do you think he's likely to go out again at a slightly higher level or, or, or where, where might he fit in? Well, just before I answer that, there was actually a, a member of a League Two coaching staff who I spoke to sort of I think it was early March sort of time and he just said I think his exact quote was most of the players in this league are absolute shite that lad's not bad you know (laughs) (laughs) that's a ringing endorsement that's amazing didn't, didn't Joey Barton uh, like compare him to Maradona at one point as well? Yeah, yeah. Not, not, <laughs> Never, not one for hyperbole, is he Joey Barton? That's no, Joey Barton compared him to Joey Barton. <laughs> but, I mean, the Anderson loan deal to Bristol has, has worked out extremely well. I know that at the time, and Eddie Howe has spoken about that Newcastle were disappointed in some ways that he ended up at League Two because they felt he, he could have finished higher up. But I think that now he's gained so much confidence there. He's gone and played and he's certainly far better than that level. How is going to look at him in pre-season, I think seriously look at him as well and see what he can bring. When I was talking about the attacking options that Newcastle are looking at this summer, I think that, that Anderson, his future partly depends on what Newcastle bring in as well because if they don't bring in the offensive options that they would really like and Anderson can impress in pre-season and show that he can add goals and creativity, 
they may consider keeping him around because again he doesn't need to be named in the 25 man senior squad he can be kept around at that stage I think what's more likely to happen is Newcastle probably will bring in a couple of players Anderson will be given a chance to impress in pre-season but then he's probably going to go on loan to a lot of championship clubs want him I mean Bristol Rovers would like him back in League 1 Sheffield Wednesday like him there as well but quite a few <laughs> if we want to really improve his development <laughs> <laughs> And so I, I think that's what's most likely to happen because he, he, he's, he's benefited so much from playing football over the course of the last six months. I think if he, can, if he can translate that into a higher level in the championship, that's probably the next step for him. But they are going to take a proper look at him pre-season. It's not just bringing him back as, for, for tokenism and just to say they are going to take a proper look at him and it will, it will depend both on him and in terms of who Newcastle can bring in. Because if they do bring in a lot of offensive players and he's not, going to, he's not going to be coming off the bench even, there is no benefit to keeping him around if you can get him regular game time elsewhere. So they are going to see you look at that situation here. Can I, can I just ask a technical question? If he's not named in the 25-man squad, he can still play, presumably? Yeah, or? so the, the, if you're under the age of 21, ah, right. I think it's as of... Which as none of, of us are. As of, December, <laughs> as of December, uh, January the 1st coming up, um, then you, you don't need to be registered as, as one of the 25 senior players in the squad, so you can be named outside the squad, which is what they can do with Egetiki if they bring him in. They can do with Elliot Anderson, and so that's why you can play so many of your, of your youngsters as well. You've got, to, you've got to register a certain number of under-21 players, but they're outside of the 25-man squad. And what about everybody's favourite bandaged hack magnet, Alan St. Maximan? What are we gonna, I, I what, didn't what know the, who you were going to say. What's going to happen with him this season? Also, Chris, I've had a message off Ollie, our producer, to say, can you stop bumping your table because you're ruining the recording? Is my voice not doing that? Uh. Um, yeah, Alan St. Maximin, what, what's going to happen with him? It, it was a, a weird season for him, wasn't it? He was, at times he looked a little bit disinterested, at times he looked like it wasn't quite working or he was maybe trying too hard, and then at times he looked incredible and unplayable. And it, he's one of these players where, on his day, he's as good as anybody, but his day just isn't often enough, is it? It isn't, although I do think he's still very important to Newcastle offensively. The, 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 if Newcastle had, had received, or if they do receive, a, a very high offer from this summer, I think they, they would at least consider it if they think that they could then reinvest that to bring someone in to replace him. But they're not actively looking to sell him because for the very reason that he is still so important to them in attack, he, he was the, the second top scorer, of five, or third top scorer, sorry, of five goals, got five assists, combined that that he's contributed to 10 goals there and for a team that doesn't score very many that's still a, a huge output even if he played a significant amount of minutes and, and he I understand the arguments that are raised against him for the reason that if you look most of Newcastle's success of, under Eddie Howe has been built on a team which everyone functions together and everyone works hard together certainly off the ball and Alan St. Maximan does not do that very much. Uh, I mean, Chris Wood basically had to cover in as a left winger most of the time, which is probably his biggest contribution to Newcastle over the last five months, was covering Alan St. Maximan's arse really defensively. But he's, he's, he is he's absolutely huge for them. And, and it, as things stand, it very much looks like he's going to stay. That's part of the reason why Matt Target was brought back as well, because if you have someone like Matt Target, who is defensively solid, may not offer as much going forward, but is very defensively solid, he can cover for Alan St. Maximan defensively and 
that is that that that, that very much seems how they are going to be going forward until they sign players. They, can, they certainly can't even begin to think of losing Alan St. Maximum because they just don't have enough goals in this squad. And as frustrating as he can be at points, he is also exhilarating at times and and really is still the key offensive outlet they've got. Excellent. Right then, just before we move on, chaps, I'm going to read out some messages that I received this evening from various important people. Now, we'll just caveat this by putting in the disclaimer that some, uh, most, or all, or maybe even none of these are entirely made up. Uh, (laughs) The first one's from George Corkin, and that is, how dare you do this without me, you pair of snivelling little shits. Uh, Just wait until I see you. I'm going to give you both a damn good thrashing. (laughs) <laughs> which is nice. Um, Steve Bruce has messaged to say a good look. <laughs> we hadn't mentioned him yet, had we? Uh, good luck tonight, lads, and well done for keeping the podcast ticking along. Uh, also, it's nice to see Taylor doing something with himself after his stint as the beast on the chase. I don't not look like him, do I? Let's be honest. Uh, uh, I've had one here which says, isn't it time you had a real journalist on the show? Uh, and that's from Luke Edwards. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one's real as well. Yeah. Um, and I also had a message from Gabriel Orbitan as well. Do you remember him? Yeah. Well, actually, it wasn't really a message. It was just a, a YouTube link to a video of a golden retriever running into some patio doors. <laughs> Slightly cryptic, but yeah. Uh, and Alan Shearer has also messaged me back as well, finally. Uh, and said, Taylor and Chris, stop DMing me. I still have Duncan Ferguson's phone number and he knows where you live. (laughs) So yeah, that's uh, our friend Alan from work. There we go. So uh, we have got some questions. Chris, I believe you've got those on your phone just before we we finish up. I do, yes. The first one is, uh, do we think that George Colcom will ever love again now that Isaac's gone? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... The first one, just if not really a question, but just news on season tickets, um, which I'm sure is of interest to, to so many people in here. Now, I'm not going to be able to give you the full answer that you want. because you, mean you club, don't work for the club, Chris? I don't work for the club, and, and they haven't confirmed it themselves yet, despite being asked several times by a lot of people. It's something which I don't think... Whatever solution they eventually come up with, I think at least some people are, are going to find it frustrating. Not everyone is going to be able to get a season ticket who wants a season ticket. But the fact we don't even know yet how many season tickets are going to be, exactly what the process is going to be. The latest I've heard is that there will, at least for some of the tickets, that there may well be a loyalty scheme of some form. I don't know exactly what that will entail in terms of that is if people were there previously and had a ticket for a long period of time. I don't know how that will Uh, work in practice I don't know what the parameters exactly are for that the club are still keeping a lot of it very close to themselves I think that they're the last club or just about the last club to have confirmed everything and and as difficult as the situation is I do think it's something which needs to be sorted soon because fans want answers they want to be able to know if they can be in and I do hope that at least some tickets are left for uh, general sale on match days as, for, for match to match as well because otherwise I think there is a risk that some fans are going to be, be locked out from being able to go to St James's but that's another reason why I think the friendly is going to the friendlies could well have very high attendance as well because so many fans will just be desperate to get in Michael you were one of those people who, who gave up your ticket back in uh, what was it 2019 did you say yeah towards um, the end of two th- the season 18-19 yeah. have you been back to the game at all have you been back to St James's you I haven't, haven't. I are you going to go this season Sorry a, to put you on the spot, but it's it's a good question. I, I, you know, I I would love to go back. Right. I I do, um, and this is a put a bit of a downer to go into, but I do have 
some uh, qualms about the ownership, along with many other people. Um, but it's a, it's a complicated question. But the, the, the truth of the matter is, the contrary argument is that nobody at any point asked Newcastle fans how they felt about being taken o over by the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So it seems, looking at it that way, that you can't really expect people to walk away from it in perpetuity. So I'm still wrestling with that, and I'm sure many other, a number of other people are. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. As usual, sorry, I didn't really give you an answer there. Um, someone else has messaged basically saying Bruno's mate Paqueta. Are they going to sign Paqueta? I know they've been heavily linked with, with Lucas Paqueta. For those who don't know, he's a, he's a Leon uh, playmaker. And Newcastle do like him. He is someone who I was told in January that when before they actually did sign Bruno Gimareshi, he was he was someone who was at least mentioned in conversation. And, and they do like him. The, the information at the minute is that I think it's highly unlikely at least in the short term, that they're going to go for Paqueta because they have other positions which they want to prioritise. Whether Paqueta would fit naturally into the system they play at the moment as well, I think there's a few qualms about that. Certainly people in the recruitment department like him a lot, but for those who think there's going to be a bromance between the Brazilians uh, next season, I'm not entirely sure that that's likely at this stage, unfortunately. Oh, Chris. Step on me dreams like that. That's what I'm here for. I'm the one who pisses on everyone's dreams. That's, I was about role. to rename my fantasy league team Paqueta Crisps. But, uh, <laughs> don't be doing that to me. Uh, and then it's another one. Is there going to be a press conference uh, with Dan Ashworth? Obviously, he did the, the uh, in-house media the other day. We were, to, we were told last week that there could have been a press conference this week. I'm, I'm still expecting at some stage that, that we're likely to meet him as the media, whether that is in a sort of broadcasted press conference format, whether that's more informal but it would be good to, to sit down and, and speak to Dan Ashworth because we, uh, as I'm sure a lot of fans do, ha have, have a lot of questions. One thing I would like to know is I'm interested to know what his actual uh, parameters to be able to work within are. I mentioned earlier what his scope is, but in terms of, at the moment, most decisions, certainly when it comes to money, have to go back to, to Saudi PAF as, as the 80% stakeholders. Is that going to be the case going forward? Um I, I imagine for very big money decisions it will be, but will he be give, it, it, how what how much autonomy does he have within the club to sort of operate and just do things as he wants going forward is is, is one of the questions certainly I would like to put towards him. It's a it's a very exciting appointment in many ways, but also it's it's one which I think will take a little bit of time to bed in because he's come into a club with for him must be brilliant in one sense because he's got a completely blank slate because it was such uh, a skeleton staff previously that he is able to build all of that up, but. Does he need these things to be signed off or is he just able to operate? That, that's one of the things I would like to ask him. Fair play. Um, one of the questions that I've been asked as well are, are Aston Villa now the baddest of baddies? Do we hate Aston Villa? Uh, and, and if not, who do we hate the most? Um, I'm going to uh, offer Everton uh, as an option there. Has, has anyone got any other uh, teams that they hate apart, apart from Sunderland? Obviously, that's a given. Uh, who, who should be the team that we really despise for no apparent reason this season? It's got to be Everton, hasn't it? Just, just to wipe that smug look off Frank Lampard's face. Villa. Villa, Leeds. Just hate Sunderland, it's easier. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, yeah, my dad's a Sunderland fan, actually. I don't know if I've ever told you this, Chris. I didn't know that information. Yeah, my dad's a Sunderland fan. I don't want to be on this podcast anymore, do uh, And when I was 10 years old, I asked for a, a Newcastle United shirt for Christmas. And he bought me one and then made me eat my Christmas dinner on the stairs. <laughs> That's positively completely, Dickensian, that completely is. Completely true story, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you're, you're from South Shields, aren't you? 
Are I am from South Shields, yes. So, so, it's so I get a, called like yeah. Diet Mackham and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but technically, it's on the banks of the Tyne. So yes. I'm claiming that. Well, it's not technically, it is. <laughs> Literally, it's, it's not, on the banks of the Tyne. It's, it's, it's not on the banks of the Weir, the last time I looked. Anyway. Very true, very true. Uh, yeah, um, also a couple of other questions. Do Premier League rules allow us to field a team of 11 Brazilians? Chris, you know about this. <laughs> are we allowed to do that? I don't think we are, are we? There you are, yeah. As long as you've got to have eight homegrown players in your 25 man squad. So as long as, yeah, as long as you've got eight, you could, you could name 11 Brazilians as, as the rest of them, yeah. So in theory, you could. So if Paqueta was to, to come in, then Paqueta, uh, Bruno, Joe Linton, bring back Fumaka. <laughs> <laughs> Don't swear on this stage, Chris. <laughs> Fumaka, my God. Remember him? Couldn't chop a bag of cement, could he? He was amazing. Oh, my God. Right, okay. So, I think we're going to finish up, chaps, now. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. I hope this hasn't been too boring for you and there's just been three people having a chat about football while you've been sat drinking pints. There was a lovely American lady who I said hello to before and the first thing she said to me was, I don't like football. I thought, all right. <laughs> <laughs> So she one, obviously one, really enjoyed this. One of the opening gambits of all time, that one. Yeah, it? really... <laughs> yeah so uh, thank you for listening. Thank you to Michael uh, for his time as well. And if you haven't already, check out Michael's book, uh, Newcastle United Stole My Heart. The only book I've ever appeared in, apart from the <laughs> Heaven edition of Crime Stoppers Bumper Book of E-Fits. Uh, I'm also in that one as well. So uh, yeah, and thanks a lot to Chris uh, for wearing clothes this week. That's always nice. Cheers, Chris. I'm progressing. You are. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and thank you to all of you as well for listening. Uh, remember, you can subscribe to The Athletic for £1 a month for the first six months at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Pod on the time will return probably on the 21st of June. And we'll basically spend the next few weeks trying to fill 45 minutes uh, of transfer rumours and bullshit. Uh, so uh, look forward to that. Oh, delightful, yeah. Thanks very much, ladies and gents. Enjoy the rest of your night. And we'll, uh, we'll see you again. Athletic.